Welcome back to the Whittemore Center here in Durham, New Hampshire, on the campus of the University of New Hampshire, where the score at the end of one is UNH 4, Merrimack nothing. Mike Mackvick and John Leahy with you. Folks, tonight's first intermission is brought to you by Fuddruckers, an official partner of Merrimack Athletics. Make sure you stop in at Fuddruckers for a burger or delicious salad before or after the next Warrior game. They're located right down the street from Merrimack at 550 Turnpike Street, and they also have locations in Reading and in Salem, New Hampshire. Uh, joining us first in a mission here, it's Chris Aliano. He is the uh, director of uh, sports information or uh, director of media relations. Or whatever the case. What is the title these days, Chris? These days, Mike uh, is director of athletic communications. Ah. So, you know, it's I guess you could say the, the was sports information. That's kind of the old school term because the, the industry's kind of evolved so much. It's so much more than just information or sport. And now it's in social media, the webcast. It's all the different mediums. But uh, enough about me. How about this? game, huh? I know. I don't think that anybody, any, especially on the Warriors side, could have seen this coming. It hasn't it's been a long time since we've seen a start like this, but really uh, I felt the first couple shifts weren't bad. They drew the penalty. They had good chances on the power play, and they get a tough break when uh, guy loses an edge and goes down on the power play, and Munich uh, has a short-handed bit coming back by Tyler Kelleher. He scores the goal, but then, you know, to see him like that open the floodgates. It did, and it, you know, it's it's such a weird thing. Hockey can be sometimes with the bounce of the puck, and we look at the shot, the the total shots on goal through this period. Merrimack's actually ahead nine to eight. Like you said, I, I thought Merrimack started pretty strong out of the gate, and then sometimes all it takes is that one weird bounce. Uh, Merrimack defenseman pinching in. I think one of the Merrimack forwards on that power play unit played it back to whoever the defenseman was, but then. Uh, you know, Tyler Kelleher, he, he's a heck of a player, and he can make you pay. Um, and that kind of just opened it up for a weird five-minute stretch where it was just all UNH. And the, another interesting, interesting thing, Mike, is that we talk about what's usually the narrative when Merrimack or any team really comes to this this rink is the wide-open sheet, and especially for a team like Merrimack going from the small rink of all, they're going to this wide-open pond. I really don't think that, that it's had a lot of the factor, you know, it wasn't much of the factor in those that four goal stretch there was just, you know, some tough breaks, UNH hitting for the cycle, so to speak, with the shorty, the even strength, the, the two power play strikes, the one that was just, you know, a he set it right on net, and it was almost a high stick that was batted in. Uh, of course, they tipped the cap to the freshman Patrick Grasso, too. Uh, a natural hat trick. Can't remember. I'm sure you, if anyone, would remember uh, the last time a an opponent had a natural hat trick against Merrimack. I don't think I've seen one since I've been here. But just a weird first period, a weird, a tough five-minute stretch, obviously, for Merrimack. But I think I heard you say it uh, with about eight minutes left or so after the Merrimack timeout. Uh, the best thing right now for Merrimack is that they still have plenty of hockey to play left. You just got to get one right now and just try and chip at this deficit and maybe take it from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and looking at what happened there, too, of course, aside, I think, from the first goal, maybe the fact that, uh, you know, it used to be teams played in every rink every year. It, that's not the case anymore. So last year, for example, Merrimack had the advantage of all five games between the two teams being played at home at Merrimack because they had the two games that year played at Merrimack and then the three games in the playoffs. So they haven't played in this building now for a couple of years. It's been a while since they played on an ice surface this big. I think that you look at where some of the goals have been scored, I think you've had some guys that have been getting drawn a little bit. And that's what tends to happen the most is that the defense thinks that they can go for 
further than they can from their, where they're supposed to be because the ice is that much wider and they get caught out of position. Guys find themselves open right in front of the net. That's how Grasso has gotten, if, if not all three, at least two of his goals, and, and maybe that's had something to do with it. It's a really good point there. I definitely think the second and the fourth goal, you mentioned the defenseman edging out a little bit farther. Uh, Grasso had a great shot on the second one, but there was definitely a lot more room between from the, the defenseman or position, maybe in the dots. Uh, I think that's a great point, though, and think that the defenseman, because this rink is so big, you can play out a little bit further, but instead, as opposed to where at Lawler, it's so much more compact and that much closer to, to the goaltender, who for the most part has been Drew Vogler this year. There's that much more open space, there's that much more of a, of a margin for error, and you know, you tip your credit to, to Grasso and UNH for capitalizing tonight. And then you mentioned the great point about just the way the schedule format has worked out and how weird that is. I had the same kind of uh, coming to moment last night or this morning, whatever it was, when I was putting these notes together, and the note, of course, was uh, Merrimack hasn't won the wit since uh, the 2012-13 season. And I stopped myself and go, Chris, they've only played here one year since then, because 13-14 was the two at Merrimack when the schedule format shifted uh, to the way it was, and 14-15 towards the end of the year was the last time Merrimack was here, 15-16, like you said, all five was, so you know, you kind of want, it's kind of a negative uh, statement saying, oh, Merrimack hasn't won here in almost four years. So they've only had the one season, the one weekend, literally in four years to uh, three and a half years to play here, just the way the scheduling works, and you know, in the three years since, you've got at least almost two-thirds of a roster turn- turnover. Uh, the freshmen and sophomores have never been here before, uh, or at least the freshmen haven't, and the sophomores haven't either. Uh, so that's more just about half your roster that's on the ice tonight, and you know, like you said, I definitely think that factors into it. All right, Chris, uh, before we let you go, the women's team, big win last night at Northeastern, 2-1 and one now in Hockey East play. Uh, they only won, what was it, three games on, in, on all the season last year in league play, in league play, I think, and uh, and now they're at home tonight against Providence. How are they doing tonight? Any update yet? Yeah, three seconds left. I believe it was Jessica Bonfi who scored to tie it. I know Providence jumped out to an early lead, but it was uh, tied at the intermission back at Waller. Uh, last I checked, you tip of the cap to, to that team, the start they've had and they've already matched their overall win total from last year. Uh, Coach Aaron Hamlin has them playing great. They have them believing. And I know I'm sure we've all thrown it around on the air a bunch of times here and off the air, of course. Women's Hockey East could be a bit top-heavy, but even those top teams from last year, they lost a bunch of the BU's, BC's, and Northeastern's, and that just leaves it that much more open. And then you see Merrimack starting to believe. They go to Northeastern last night, pick up arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, win so far. And it's got to be an early school history, uh, franchise program history. I mean, they had never beaten a team that was ranked. I don't know if they had beaten a team that was getting votes. Colgate was, uh, was ranked, and I think Robert Morris might have been receiving votes last week, and they obviously had a uh, 1-0 in one weekend against them, but for just a league opponent, for the team that Northeastern was last year, Northeastern has already beaten BU twice this year. Uh, we've already seen BC lose to Maine in women's hockey, too, so it's that much more a little bit wide open at the top. Maybe not wide open, but you see there's some parity as opposed to last year. BC, BU, and Northeastern basically play anyone that isn't the three of them, and they were coming away with what looked like wins most of the time. Uh, so it just makes it that much more interesting, and it's just the way women's hockey East and set up uh, top eight, eight out of nine get in. You just have to be 
not that ninth. And I certainly think Coach Hamlin has them playing well enough, have them believing there's some real star players on that team. Uh, it's an exciting time for that program, and uh, you know, we'll try and I'll try and keep you guys posted as that game progresses tonight. But it was 1-1 headed in the second back of Waller. All right, Chris, uh, thanks a lot. We will keep an eye on that. Thanks for joining us as well. We appreciate all the great work that you do. He's the Director of Athletic Communications at Merrimack. Chris Aliano, good stuff, Chris. Thanks. Hey, as always, great job by you guys. Best in hockey. Always happy to be on. <laughs> You're too kind, too kind. Uh, Chris Aliano, guest here in the first intermission with Merrimack trailing UNH 4-0. John and I will be back with more right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.